0: We do. I'd like to do something a little bit different this morning in regards to that. Next Sunday, next year, Veterans Day lands on a Sunday, and I want to do something even different then as well. But for any of you who served in World War II, would you stand for a moment? Do we have anybody who served in World War II? Korea, would you stand and stay standing? Korea? Vietnam, stay standing. Vietnam, I'm going to keep adding layers, so keep standing. Vietnam, wow. Desert Storm, Operation Freedom in Iraq or Afghanistan, right here. Any other veterans? Any other veterans in the room, now would you stand? All right, here we are. Wow. And if any of you have family that is actively still serving, would you stand and represent them this morning? All right? Wow. We will never forget, we will always be proud, and we will always remember. Thank you for your service. Two incredible days that we never want to forget. One Memorial Day when so many families have sacrificed the ultimate sacrifice in their family member. Many of us do. My family, my wife's family, a lot of families have given their all and have had family members who have given their all. So that we always want to remember that particular day and then, well, Veterans Day to remember those that are still actively serving or have served down through the years and we never ever want to forget that and we always want to honor that. So we're so grateful that we can be a church that does that on a regular basis. If you have your Bibles this morning, I want you to turn to the book of James. There's a lot of scripture that I'm going to be going through this morning. You also have sermon notes, so I encourage you to take them out. One of the things that I have tried to do last Sunday and this Sunday because I'm looking at so many different scriptures to be able to understand the points and tie in what it is that I feel God wants me to say this morning, that I wanted you to have them as well. They're going to be on the screen, I'll refer to them, some I'll read, only a part of it, but I wanted you to clearly see what I'm talking about from the Word of God, and then take the opportunity after the service to process it and allow it to sink in. I spend a week or two on a given subject or a few hours in putting it together and making sure that it's as clear as I know how to share, but you're processing it in 30 minutes and you're hearing it, you're watching visuals and all of that. The power of the Word of God is incredible. And last Sunday morning, we looked at a mirror and we said, when you look into it as the Word of God, you'll notice that it teaches us and says to us a number of things. When I look into the Word of God, I look into that mirror of the Word of God, I see that I had absolutely no hope at all. I was dead in my trespasses and sin. But God, in His incredible grace and mercy, took me from death to life and offers me not only life for this life, but eternal life. And I wouldn't know that if I didn't go into the Word of God. I wouldn't recognize how dead I was without Christ and how alive He made me in Christ without looking at the Word of God. The Word of God has the power to generate faith. Faith comes from what? Hearing the message, the message that is heard through the Word about Christ. None of you were there when Jesus spoke. None of you were there when He taught. But you have the Word of God, the Word of Christ, and the opportunity to be able to see that my faith can come by hearing what I know, that the Word teaches me about God. Psalm 119, It says, It has the power to keep me from sin. It asks a great question. How can a young man keep his way pure? Now, that was written thousands of years ago. That question could be asked today. Of every individual that goes in every campus, every college, university, every time he goes into life, for all of us over this whole campus here this morning, go out into the everyday world, could ask that question, how on earth? In light of the barrage of information, in light of the immoral issues that I see every day, in light of all the advertisements that I see blasting in front of me, no matter where I turn, how on earth am I gonna keep my way pure? Well, he answers that question by living according to your word. I have hidden your word in my heart. Two assumptions, right? That I've memorized it, I have hidden it, I've put it down into my soul. Your heart is your soul, who you really are. It's in there. I know it, so that when I need it, it comes forward. I have hidden your word in my heart. Second assumption is what? I'm in the word. I put it in there so that I might not sin against you. Peter says it gives you everything you need for spiritual maturity. His divine power has given us almost everything we need to be able to live the life that God's called us to, right? What does it say? He is giving us Everything we need. Living this Christian life is not easy. If anybody ever tells you it is, it's not. You're going to hear all kinds of reasons, all kinds of ways, all kinds of things that tell you that it's going to make it, you're going to make it, but it's not that hard, it's not that easy. You're going to hear both sides of the issue. Living the Christian life, I'll be really honest with you, is not that easy. But the Word of God says if a minute He's given you everything you need to grow into spiritual maturity... Everything you'll ever need to be able to take this life that you've implanted into your life of Jesus Christ and grow in maturity, become everything that God designed you to be. Everything you need has been given to us through the knowledge of him who called us by his glory and goodness. Through these things, he's given us his very great and precious promises so that by them you may participate in his divine nature. You've walked away from the old way of life. You've given up on all that junk that you used to do. Now you're embracing Jesus as your Savior, and everything you need to be able to keep away from that and keep going in this direction has been given to you in Christ. I won't know that if I don't read the Word of God. The Word of God is more than a book we study. It's the breath of God. It is the ultimate source of truth in life. It can be fully trusted. It is the one absolute. In a world of unabsolutes, in a world that doesn't make sense, in a world that says there's a lot of ways to heaven, give it your best. We're all going to go. A loving God would never send anybody to hell. In a world that says all of those things, this is the one source that you can trust. But the assumption is what? I'm in it. I'm reading it. I'm reading it. I'm referring to it. I'm using it to guide my life. Breakpoint is an article that I get almost every other day that comes across my desk. Colson did it originally. Now Eric Metaxas does it. And I love their writings. He wrote this this past week. According to Gallup Poll, only a minority of American teens are Bible literate. Over half of the graduating class of seniors in one poll thought that Sodom and Gomorrah were husband and wife, and Billy Graham preached the Sermon on the Mount. You do do know that Sodom and Gomorrah weren't husband and wife, right? And that Jesus did the Sermon on the Mount, regardless of how incredible Billy Graham was. But half the graduating class didn't know the difference between the two. Sermons when they are correctly dealt with in the Word of God or infused by the Spirit, are more than speeches or talk. They can change a life. If you're looking for a church, you relocate for some other reason, and you're trying to figure out where I go to church, and you have somebody that tells you about a good church, and they say, it gives great talk. You don't want to go. No matter how good they are. You want more than a great talk. You want more than a great speech, no matter how good they are. I get people all the time over the last couple of years saying, you're really getting good. (laughs) Appreciate that. I've been practicing for 40 years, so I'm, I'm finally getting there. I'm finally getting there. But you want somebody that not just simply gives you a great talk or a great speech, but shares with you the Word of God so much so that you know it's coming from the Word of God, it's infused by the Spirit of God, and it really can and has changed your life. You don't want somebody just to give you a great speech no matter how credibly of a communicator they are. You want it to be able to change your life. And sermons, when correctly dealt with in the Word of God, infused by the Spirit, are way more than that, they can change the life. The Word of God is active and alive. It allows you to allow yourself to see who you really are. But to see yourself clearly, you can't just glance and look away. You've got to look intently, as we saw last Sunday morning, into the Word of God. Last Sunday morning we said that it has the power to remind us of how incredibly valuable we are. You and I are God's masterpiece. God so loved you and I that he gave his one and only son so that we could have life and have it forever. And every time you see somebody hold up John 3, 16 at the end of an end zone in a football game, and somebody wonders where it is that the most looked up verse in, in all of... Uh, Internet history, because people are wondering what that means. So it's a great way to communicate the message, and I get that. But every time you look at it, you need to clearly understand, God so loved me, me, that he gave his one and only son so that I could have life and have it forever. Romans, even while you were still sinning, Christ loved you. God loved you and sent his son to die for you. Even in the midst of your sin, his love for you and I is that great. Do you have any idea how valuable you are? Went around last Sunday morning and said, do you know you're loved by God? Do you know how much you're loved by God? Do you know that God loves you like crazy? Do you know how loved by God you are? And you know it, you've heard it, you heard me say it, you heard it last Sunday morning, you hear it from the word of God, that I am his masterpiece, that he gave his one and only life, that even when I was sinning, he still died for me. The issue is not how many of you know it, how many of you believe that. So how many of you honestly believe that you are that loved by God. Let me see your hands. Now, the first service, only about four people raised their hands, so they're not sure if they're allowed to or not. It's not enough to know that. You hear me say it. You've heard me say it. You saw the artwork here a few weeks ago or a few months ago when we shared it. You've heard it said last Sunday morning, God loves you like crazy. You can't imagine how much God loves you. I pray for my kids. God, I love them so much I can't even imagine what your love for them must look like. But it's not enough just to hear that information. I've got to believe it so that when I look in the mirror and I don't think that I'm lovely and I don't think that I look good and I don't think that I have what others have and all that other junk, then I have to remind myself I am loved by God. I am valuable. No matter what I'll hear tomorrow, no matter what I'll hear from that spouse who doesn't like me, no matter what I'll hear from those students at school, I am loved by God and I am his masterpiece. And it isn't enough just to hear it and believe it. It's enough to embrace it and live like I honestly understand that. And that's how I look at myself. Through the grit of the Word of God that says I'm loved by God. The Bible has the power to teach, to correct, to train, to fully prepare men and women of faith for every good work. In light of all of that and more regarding the power of the Word of God, now you know why we spend so much time in it. The mirror also has two sides. It not only tells us how valuable we are, it also tells us what we need to change. It not only tells us how valuable we are, it also tells us there are some things in your life you need to change. If you look intently, not just glance at it and walk away, Oh, God wave with that one. No, if you look intently into the Word of God, which is what he says, it not only reminds us of how incredibly valuable we are, it reminds us of what we need to change. So the questions in your notes are these. How do you respond when the life-changing Word of God comes at me and challenges my thinking or confronts my lifestyle? Now, that can be positive or negative. How do I respond to that when the Word of God comes at me? And I don't think I'm that valuable, and I don't think I'm that special. When it comes at me, how do I respond to that? Either thanks, pastor, or I hear you saying it, but I don't buy it. Or, you know what, I'm going to look at myself differently from this point on. I don't care what he, she, it says. How do you respond when the word of God challenges your thinking or confronts your lifestyle? James gives us good advice. Quick to listen and slow to speak. No, that's not me. No. Quick to listen and slow to That's not, I don't do that. Quick to listen, slow to speak. Second question. Not only how do you respond, but what do you do? How do you respond is you react, don't buy it, sounds good, I like it. How do you respond? And then secondly, how do you act? What do you do when the life-changing Word of God challenges our thinking or confronts our lifestyle? James has an answer for that as well in the very next section. Do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourself. You've got to do what it says. So last Sunday morning when I said these are some things you got to take off, man, you got to get rid of that old behavior, those things that you used to do, watch, go, whatever. you, you got to get rid of that. Now that you're a follower of Christ and you recognize what he did and who you are, there's some things you got to take off, and you keep wearing them around. You've got to let them go. You've got to take them off. And he also said there's some things you need to put on. So in light of what you heard, how do you respond and what do you do? Are there things in your life that you read in that scripture last Sunday morning that you need to get rid of, and are there things in your life that you need to put on? Compassion, tenderness, forgiveness, forbearance, love. As important as it is to hear the word of God, it has to go further than that. We've got to be obedient to what we hear. James said, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Anybody who listens to the word but doesn't do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking away, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like or what he saw. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do that, looking into it, what changes do I need to make? And not forgetting what he's heard, but he does it, he will be blessed in what he does. You want to live a blessed life? Now, you're going to write your Christmas letter in a few weeks, right? If you send one out, we had a really blessed year. God blessed us this year. How did he bless you? Well, I still have a job. My kids are okay. What are you going to say about how God has blessed you? And we'll all say a number of different things. We've lived a very blessed life or we've had a blessed year. You want to live a blessed life? It's more than you just still have a job and your kids still like you. It's that I have seen what I need to be in the Word of God and I'm doing it on a regular basis. So the more I'm in my relationship with God and the deeper I'm in that walk with God, the more I see what the Word of God teaches me, the more I do. In that, you will have a blessed life. Most of us remember 10% of what we hear, 50% of what we see, and 90% of what we do. 10% of what we hear, and for those of us who are men, probably not even that good, right? Your wives say, what did you say? I I missed that. Were you listening? Yes, I heard the words. No, you didn't hear the words, whatever that may be. 50% of what we see and 90% of what we do. Now, I'm sure you've heard the phrase or the formula in regards to raising and disciplining your kids, right? Rules without relationship equals what? Rebellion. Rules without relationship equals rebellion. In the same context here, information without transformation equals delusion, Information without transformation equals delusion. If the information you see, hear, and receive from the Word of God doesn't translate into a changed life, then you would be deluded into thinking that you're okay, and that is the most dangerous position to be in. If what you hear, see, and receive from the Word of God doesn't translate into a changed life, then you would be deluded into thinking you're okay. I said a prayer. I signed a card. I raised my hand. But if it doesn't translate into a changed lifestyle, you may be deluded in thinking that you're okay because you're not. Because it will always, always, always translate into a changed life. Information's got to go beyond hearing to have any value. Let me give you an example. Let's say you have high blood pressure, overweight, need to exercise. Let's say somebody you know. Nobody in here, okay? So let's say there's somebody you know that has high blood pressure, overweight, needs to exercise. So they go to the Internet. That's where we're going to find all information because everything on the Internet is true, right? No. So you're going to go to the Internet or you're going to go to the doctor. It's going to give you all kinds of information that you need to do. But if you do absolutely nothing about what you now know, you know what? You'll still struggle with high blood pressure. You'll still be overweight. And you could die way too early, right? If you don't do anything about what he just said you ought to do, You will still be overweight, still have high blood pressure, whatever you may diagnose, and you may die early. One of my favorite cartoons my doctor gave me is this. What fits into your busy schedule better, exercising an hour a day or being dead 24 hours a day? (laughs) That's good information to get from your doctor. What's better for you, exercising an hour a day or being dead 24 hours a day? So it's not enough that I now know what I need to do. It's a matter of what? Doing it. Anybody ever audit a class? It essentially means this. You go to the class, you take the notes, you hear the information, but you don't have to do any homework, you don't have to write any papers, you don't have to take any tests. Now how many of you want to audit a class? Or wish you would have? The problem with that, you'll never really embrace the information. And it most likely won't make any difference. And if you need surgery from a doctor or a physician, you want to make sure he didn't just audit a class. You want to make sure he understands how to use the information he just got, right? Same with spiritual things. If we're not careful, we can do that with the Word of God. The regulars in the class are not only engaged in hearing the material, they really want to apply the information. And sadly, I see so many people can do that with the Word of God. We hear the information but do nothing with it. And if we do that, it loses its value. Jesus confronted it almost every day of his ministry on earth with religious people who had what they thought were all the answers, knew God, God read the scriptures, but it never impacted their life at all. And there was no change. One of the purposes of the Word of God is revelation. It reveals the truth about God. You want to know what God looks like? Read the Word of God. You want to know what Jesus looks like? Read the Word of God. It very clearly describes to us, all the way through from beginning to end, what God looks like. It also reveals the truth about me. I was dead. You had no hope. You had no you're in a you're a mess. But I gave you an opportunity to have life. So it not only reveals the truth about God, it reveals the truth about me. One of the other purposes is transformation. By that revealed truth, you see change, real, visible change. You see it, others see it. The ultimate end product in your sermon notes of revelation or the revelation of God is transformation. One of the ultimate end products of what we do on a Sunday morning is not great information and good music, but to usher you into the presence of God to see transformation take place as a result of the revelation of God. We'll do the best we know how to give you a great information and great music, but if it doesn't usher you into the presence of God for you to see who you are, what he does, what he offers, it's not what you need. You have Isaiah. Six. I don't think you have Isaiah 6 in your sermon notes, so write it down somewhere, and then go home and read it. This is what basically Isaiah is saying. I had a really bad day. The king died. I thought, I'm just going to church. I'm going to go to church like I've always gone to church. Sunday morning, Saturday morning probably for him, he goes to church. And all of a sudden, he gets into church, and he realizes, whoa, this is not just an average Sunday. God's here. And this isn't just not God's here. I mean, God is here. The place is shaken. I see angels all over the place. I see smoke. I smell it. I feel it. I sense God is in this room. And when I sense that God is in this room, I'm going to respond to that. And So he gets down on his knees and said, don't look at me. I'm sinful. i got junk in my life I've got to get rid of. Don't look at me. Who's ever going to be able to? I'm I'm an unclean person in the midst of unclean people. And he comes down and he touches my lips and says with a coal from the fire, and he says, who will I send out to them? And he said, here my send me. You see the process going on in that? I come into the presence of Almighty God, and when I come into the presence of Almighty God, I genuinely see who I am, and I understand what I need to do. And in that moment, God speaks to me and gives me the challenge, gives me the charge, sends me out whatever he wants me to do. It's in that moment. Otherwise, it's church as church has always been. And if you relocate or looking for a church or what, you need to look for a church like that. That allows us the opportunity to see God fully designed in what he was intending to be. Now, I want to do my best, as Paul tells a young pastor, to do everything I can To present myself to God as one approved, who doesn't need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of God. But the ultimate objective is not just simply giving you information, but giving you information in a way that you can see the changes that are necessary in your life. Peter's desire was not just to get people saved. By the word of salvation, 2 Peter is that you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul's passion in Romans 8, that you be conformed to the likeness of his son. Not a matter of just saying, I raised my hand, I said a prayer, I signed a card. But that Christ would be formed in you. That the longer you're in this journey, you accepted Christ as Savior. You said this prayer, you signed the card, whatever that may be. And now as you continue in this journey, you're daily revealing or seeing revealed what it says about you. And the more you're in it, the more that's happening, the more you're becoming more and more like Christ. That's the intention of the Word of God. That's the intention of the power of God, which all leads back to James chapter 1. Don't merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourself. You've got to do what it says. Truth has to be fleshed out in our living. We can come every Sunday, hear a sermon, take the notes, maybe even get emotional, but if it doesn't affect our life, if it doesn't affect my life, it loses its ultimate purpose. If I'm more concerned with saying it well on Sunday than doing it well on Monday to Friday, I've missed the mark. And if you and I are more concerned with how I look, how others see me, that I was in church, that I just simply said a prayer, signed a card, said to raise my hand, than seeing it fleshed out in my life, you may be deluded in thinking that you're okay, because be honest with you, you're not. And that may be the hardest words you have to hear, but I'm telling you, I could be right now your best friend. Because you may think, because I did some of those things, I'm okay. And God's word very clearly says you're not, if that's all you've ever done. Because it's so much more than that. If there's not evident physical change, if it doesn't be seen or isn't seen. We know people who sit in church, give their money, who pray, who read their Bible, even mark it up every once in a while. They avoid the big sins. They don't cheat. They don't lie. They don't drink. But they're sour and cranky. They never seem to experience joy. James says here and again in chapter 3, their tongues get them in trouble all the time. They know the information. They know about Jesus. They know about God. Maybe even said a prayer, but it never affected their lifestyle. And they never seem to grow in grace or take on the character of Christ. I'm not saying you gotta be perfect in your notes, just noticeably different by being transformed by the power of God's Word. If you go outside after the service is over and you look around, you'll notice that most of the leaves are gone. So you're gonna go home tomorrow or, or, or the next couple of days and you're gonna take those leaves and blow them into your neighbor's yard and everything will be at least out of your. No, you don't. Do. Right, but if you look at after all the leaves are gone, if unless you're really good or really sharp, you probably won't know which tree's which, right? I mean, while the leaves are there, you can tell what's well, an oak tree, that's a maple tree. You can tell by the colors what it is. The leaves are gone, you can't tell. But in spring, all the leaves come back, you, okay, I can I can identify that one. I know what that is. And then if the fruit bearing trees, you'll see all the fruit come on, you'll be able to tell the difference between a pear tree and an apple tree, and the list is endless. Jesus said, Look. You'll know, you will know, and the world will know which ones are mine by what they see in the lives, the transformed lives of the people that claim to follow Christ. I just, I read it again this week, and I, don't, I know I must have read it before, but I have it in your sermon. It's Ezekiel 33, fascinating piece of scripture. It's God saying to Ezekiel, hey, look, son of man, you know, you're... Your countrymen, the people that come listen to you, they're talking about you. They're talking about you by the walls, the doors of the house. They send you a card at Pastor Appreciation Month, say, good job, we like it. They come and hear the message, and they, they're actually saying to each other, hey, you've got to come to our church and hear the message. Let's come for the Lord. So they come, as they usually do, and they sit before you and listen to your words, but sadly, they don't put them into practice. With their mouth, they express devotion, but their hearts are far from me. They're greedy for unjust gain. Indeed, to them, you're nothing more than one who sings love songs with a beautiful voice and plays an instrument really well. And they hear your words, but they don't put them into practice. That fascinating. That describes, that describes a lot of churches They sing really good songs. You speak well, he speaks well, she speaks well, whoever the order may be. But the people, after hearing all of that, Never change at all. Jesus said the same thing 100 years later. Anyone who hears these words of mine doesn't put them into practice. is like a, a wise man that, or an individual that doesn't build his house on a right foundation. If you hear these words of mine, you put them into practice, you're a wise man who built his house on a rock. But if you hear these words and you don't put them into practice, you're building on sand. And I just need you to know the rain's gonna come. The wind's going to blow, it's not if, it's when. And your house is going to crumble and fall apart. And I'm here to tell you, it's going to happen. Tough things, bad things, hard things, it happens to all It rains on the just and the unjust. I've done probably three or four hundred funerals and a hundred of them, I'll bet, are people I don't know. Um, and and you'll, you'd never know it. Um, you would never know the amount of people, I'm sure, by who say, hey, my, my aunt died, my brother died, my, my son died. Would you do their funeral? I, I, I need a pastor, and I've, just, I've done that for years and years and years. It's unbelievable when you walk into those settings of the difference between those whose house was built on a solid foundation so that when the winds of death blew, they stood and stayed strong, and to watch those who had nothing, and they had that wind of death blow, and they crumbled, and they don't know what to do. Now, the reason that we do it on so many occasions is to give them what they desperately need, and that is Jesus. But when you visually, from my vantage point, watch it, it's incredible because I see it all the time. People are building their house on the wrong foundation, and then the winds of light blow, and they just crumble and fall apart. Paul said, look, we're going to sorrow when we lose someone we love. We just don't sorrow like those who have no hope because when they have no hope, they don't know what to do with what has just happened in their life. Jesus said, I'm telling you, it's going to happen. But if you build your house on the right foundation, you clearly see the word of God and you embrace it and you live it out, I'm telling you, no matter what happens in your life, you'll be able to stand strong and firm. Because your relationship is not in those things, it is in Christ, who's been formed in you so that the pressure outside is not greater than the pressure inside, and you're able to stay strong. There are a lot of people who look at a church from the outside, and they'll drive by and say, wow, you guys must have a lot of great things going on. Parking lot's full, it's busy, all that things going on. Of course, we invite them in, love to have you come. But they're trying to make a decision about church and whether or not they want to be a part of it. And in most cases, it's not how busy you are. That may be what draws them in. But the way they're really going to make a determination as to whether or not this is where they want to be. Or need to be is if they see the difference in the lives of the people who are in the building, not from the outside. There are a lot of people who show interest or show no interest in church by what they see in the people who are in the church. If it makes no difference in people's lives, if it makes no difference in our lives, why would they want to come? Or why would they go? They're making a decision about spiritual things. And the truth and whether or not this is truth, not by only what they see or hear or not only even hear what they hear here, what they see in our lives. And if they see it makes a difference in their lives, I'm telling you, that is one of the most attractive things you can ever give them is seeing the difference that it's made in your life. Your sermon notes, the joy of the Christian life comes when I apply what I hear from the word of God and I see the difference that it makes in my life. And I know that now others are seeing the difference that it makes in my life. Once you know what forgiveness feels like, really feels like, it makes you want to be a forgiving person. Once you understand grace, really understand grace, it makes you want to be a person that displays that. Once you really understand what God's word says and what it reveals, and the result is transformation, then you really want to be the kind of person that shows the world what that looks like. What you love about Jesus, walk around with him for a while. He did not just talk about being with people who didn't know him, he actually did it. So instead of always being with Christians and always being with believers and always being in that group where only people I hang around are believers, Jesus lived it out in those who didn't know him. He didn't just talk about ministering to the poor. He actually did it. He didn't just talk about being one who serves. He actually got up from a meal, took off his outer garment, and washed the dirty, filthy feet of people who shouldn't known better. And one of them, by the way, who probably in a moment or two was going to betray him. It wasn't a matter of just talking it. He walked it. One of the beauties and attraction of Christ is that he not only talked with powerful words, he lived it out. He walked the talk. And what makes him so attractive in the people that follow him, that claim to know him, is the exact same thing. Now, John 13. Now that you know these things, all right, I just told you, now that you know all of that, you'll be blessed If you do it. When you really come into contact with the truth of God, it not only confronts you, it not only challenges you, it changes you. Can't just merely listen to the words he said and deceive yourself. You have to do what it says. What good is it, my brother and sister, in James 2... If someone claims to have faith, but I don't see it, that kind of faith can't save them. We all know that we're saved by God's amazing grace. We invite Jesus into our life. We don't have to do anything to deserve it. We don't have to do anything to earn it. We invite him in, and by his incredible grace, he offers us life and forgiveness and grace and the opportunity to start life all over again. But if once that happens, there's no visible evidence of that at all, then you've got to wonder if that really took place. You've got to wonder if that really took place. If there's been no change in you at all, since you raised the hand, said the words, signed a card, you may want to consider that you have not invited Christ into your life because when he comes in, he will change you. Not make you perfect, but he will change you. So you may want to look honestly That your life and where it's at right now, is it perfect? Of course not. I'm not. My Lord, I know I'm not. But is it noticeably different? Can I see what God's doing in my life in this daily journey with him? If not, you may want to go back to that point and have a point where the change really has been embraced and I invite Christ into my life and I allow him to do what he needs to do As I constantly, continually look at the word of God, make the changes I need to make. So the question that you and I have to answer is, what is or are some of those changes? Half of the second page of your sermon notes is blank. What do you need to write down? What do you need to change? Because once you've been confronted with the word of God, and it challenges our thinking or our lifestyle. It changes us. So now that you've seen it and heard it, what do you need to change? For some of you, it may be, I really need to be honest about my relationship with God because I don't think I have one. I haven't seen any change. And if you were to ask the people sitting around you, especially those who know you the best, they'll probably verify that for you. And you don't want to live, and you don't want to think, okay, I'm okay when it comes to facing Almighty God at the end of life, if I don't know for sure. That may be the change. For others of you, you know Christ. You know there's things he's pointing out. But boy, there's just that one or two or three things. I've got it. I can't keep doing that. Can't keep going there, saying that, doing whatever that, the that may be. Write it down. Be honest with God about what that is. Because he will indeed change. It. Let me pray for him. Father, for some of us last week may have been such incredibly good news. (laughs) Because we haven't seen ourselves as valuable or precious in your sight. We teach to our kids, we just don't feel it ourselves. So we kind of put ourselves down and don't feel we're that special. And Man, that, that was good news to hear how loved by you we are. This morning may seem like hard news. It's also incredibly good news. So I pray, oh God, in the name of Jesus, by the power of your spirit, in this next 60 seconds, you will clearly, as you ever have before, by the power of your spirit, speak loud and clear about what we need to do. Saturday night I spent an hour or two going over the message and making sure I really embrace it and it's clear and clear as I'm standing here talking to you this morning, told me what I need to write down on that and I don't know where you're at but I encourage you not just to hear information not to even say it was great music good stuff, you spoke well what do you need to do? my encouragement is do it because it could make your life everything that God designed it to be you could be able to face him knowing as he taught you as he revealed to you you continued to embrace I can help you in any way I'd be honored to do that we really do a couple of people want anointed this morning we're gonna do that here in a moment uh, this Sunday uh, today is officially the last day that Jim and Jennifer will be here and so a couple of things I want you to do number one I want you to thank them for their love and grace that they have given us in these last two and a half years and secondly, I want you to say I'm going to be praying for you. And whatever God reveals in that next chapter of your life, that he'll reveal clearly and quickly, and that you'll be able to look at that next chapter with as much excitement as in the past. God, I thank you for the people that you bring in and out of our lives, for Jim and Jennifer and these four incredibly wonderful children that you've given them and blessed them with and trusted into their care. And I trust you will continue to bless them in amazing ways. And as they explore that next chapter, that you'll reveal it and they'll be able to embrace it and walk in it and enjoy incredibly so what that next piece looks like. So walk with them and bless them, we pray. In Jesus' incredible name, amen. If you want to be prayed for this morning, please come this way. Please do not leave. We'd love to be able to do that with you this morning. See you next Sunday morning. Have a great.